Welcome back to Metropolis. We're back. Welcome everyone to the episode zero of Metropolis. Today's guest, Drew Oyaje. How are you doing, Drew? I'm doing great. It's great to be here, Colin. Lovely. What do you think about bikers? Uh, well, um, they have excellent fashion sense. Okay, agree to disagree. Fair enough. <laughs> but more important than bikers, um, Projet Montréal, as we know, has been increasing the amount of bike paths mm -hmm. and accessibility for active transportation, I believe they call it. Indeed. So with that includes bike lanes, lane closures, lots of pedestrianization across the city. We have streets like Wellington, Mount Royal, St. Laurent closed at different times. Ultimately, I think it's a nice thing, but some people don't agree. Project Montreal is the, the, the party of bike lanes and capitalism. So there, there you go, bike I'll, lanes and capitalism. I will definitely take one of those things. Which one? <laughs> we know which one. All right, today we're talking about, Drew, Drew, did you see the news last week? St. Michel residents took to the streets to protest against bike paths causing not causing not enough parking spaces. So, I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah. So for those uh, not in the know, uh, for those of you plateau heads who only stay there, uh, St. Michel is a borough sort of northeast to, uh, of, uh, of the island. Uh, mostly, there's a, there's a large uh, 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 North African population there. It's a little zone called uh, Petit Maghreb. And it is in this area, St. Michel, that uh, lots of residents came out and they were chanting stuff like, over uh, the stationnement, we want parking. I think there was a similar uh, demonstration in Park X as well. And uh, yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious what you th make of these uh, 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 make of these protests. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a tough issue, and and I think you know not just Project Montreal because this is a phenomenon that extends way beyond Project Montreal. But I think they put us in a really tough position because on the one hand. Uh, who could argue with bike lanes from an environmental perspective, from a uh, general uh, safety, safety health uh, perspective? Mm -hmm. Like they're, they should be an unambiguous good. Everyone should be on board with bike lanes. However, um, yeah, I mean, there's a number of of problems with this. I mean, costs are increasing. Um, I don't think this is what people are reacting to, but but if you look at why people put in bike lanes. Uh, a big part of it, or a big part of why cities choose to put in bike lanes, is because it increases the property values in neighborhoods, um, and and sort of attracts people who have more income to those neighborhoods. And um, I think I think probably on a, on some level, people sense that um, people see the rents going up. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if property values go up, then also rents are going to go up because people the landlord's taxes are going to go up, so they're going to raise they're going to pass that on mm -hmm. to their tenants. Um, so, so bike lanes without uh, all the things that could offset um, the, the sort of negative effects um, end up end up kind of heightening the tensions um, and become a, a source of sort of cl class conflict. Uh, I think inadvertently. I think, and I think you see the sort of writ large. You see. Um, sort of you know well-meaning policy like the carbon tax, for example, um, which is supposed to like incentivize more environmental behavior, but is is the source of a massive amount of backlash, which is currently being capitalized on by the conservatives, mm -hmm. um, who are going to, if they get in power, uh, which it looks like they very well could, um, will put into place a lot of very regressive policies and roll back the exact environmental policies that we need to have. So, 
so yeah, I think that's yeah. That's, the, I, 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 that's absolutely true. I think what what you're saying kind of reminds me of how like let's say like if we want like electric cars, hybrid cars right now, so many of the options are like luxury vehicles, right? Yeah. It's it's the luxury cars that are first like eighty thousand dollars. If you, it's like if you want to be if you want to lessen your carbon footprint and own a vehicle, you got to pay a very high premium for that, right? I feel like you have the conservatives also kind of uh, going in on that and kind of considering this kind of elitist thing. You think, so do you think the way Projet Marial treats it, do you think that's elitist as well in a similar vein? Well, I think the, the, like, the electoral base for Projet Marial is, you know, the, the, the sort of core people are like um, upwardly mobile homeowners, um, you know, people who are more highly educated. Mm -hmm. um, they're not, the, they're, they're, there are probably some renters in there, but if they are, they're like on their way to home ownership. Right, right, right. right, um, right. So that's that's sort of sort of who they are playing to as as their base, and I think that leaves out a big part of the population. And you see where where like the core of you know in in Saint Michel, for example, Park X, sorry, not, not uh, in Park X and Saint Michel, um, Projet Montreal has hard trouble getting elected, mm -hmm. whereas uh, in Villeray, where you have a, a a more sort of white francophone, upwardly mobile, uh, or at least more educated and higher income population, mm -hmm. um, you end up with a large amount of Projet Montréal support, whereas, mm -hmm. yeah, they have trouble getting representatives elected in those, in the, in the sort of more primarily migrant and probably higher proportion of renter right. populations. Um, and so, and so, yeah, you are sort of pitting the interests of homeowners and the people who are going to benefit from higher property values uh, against the people who are not. Um, mm -hmm. Ultimately, that's what it is. Obviously, there is the more straightforward approach of like looking at transportation. And I think, um, you know, there is the pink line, which is which was supposed to go up there, right. was supposed to supposed to give like more sort of high speed transportation, like more sort of convenient and more high frequency transportation options to people in that neighborhood, but. That hasn't happened. And especially especially at the beginning of the founding of the uh, metro system, you're supposed to have we're supposed to have a red line that went right up the nerf, right? That would, would have served that area, yeah. but the area has for like decades never gone that. Yeah, I mean, I I I mean, I, I haven't been the, um, the, haven't like looked at it in detail recently, but when I you know there's if when you cross the the sort of line into Saint Michel, <laughs> there's a real market difference yeah, in yeah. terms of like the amount of investment. I mean, yes, like parks are falling apart. There's, you know, rusted stuff everywhere. There's sort of, like, things are closed. Mm -hmm. uh, sort of sidewalks just randomly end. Like, things that you would not, ex things that you're not used to seeing, like, in the plateau mm -hmm. um, or other sort of, you know, uh, Projet Montréal strongholds are are very common uh, there. And so, and yeah, I think people, and I think you, it, it's reasonable to expect that, like, the bus service and the, and the, and there's no metro, um, so people rely more on cars, mm -hmm. and um, people are going to get pissed off when you take their parking mm -hmm. spots away. Would you have participated in the protest if you were in Saint Michel, and owned a, a cool car? I, I would. I I probably would be more on the side of bike lanes, but but on the other hand, my 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 sort of proposal, which is a joke until it's not, is, <laughs> is that we have a moratorium on murals and bike lanes of course. until. Uh, we're able to bring the uh, until we're able to tax basically real estate value increases at 100% to basically take real estate speculation out of the out of the mix. That's 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 what I think should be that, that that's the position anyway that exposes I think um, the 
the sort of class interests and the, and the class contradictions between what Project Montreal is doing and, 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 and the backlash they're frankly risking uh, by, by pursuing one and not the other. Could, could, could I have you go into detail about what you mean by class contradictions in this case? Well, I just mean that, you know, there's a, there's a, a homeowner class uh, and there's an owner class more broadly, mm -hmm. a real estate developer class, and, uh, and 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 certainly real estate investment trusts and all these things that are benefiting from the rise in in, in prices of real estate. And then there's the renter class, mm -hmm. which are people who don't benefit. They actually have a negative impact on their net income mm -hmm. when property values go up. Like maybe so some of these. There's a there's a direct contradiction, and you you pursue one you pursue a policy that increases um, land values. It's going to benefit one of those and mm -hmm. and, and negatively uh, affect the other one. Right, right, right. So let's say you might have a renter who bikes and is happy to have more bike lanes, but then ultimately all these bike lanes, all this kind of pedestrianization is kind of feeding into this thing that's increasing their rent and that might eventually have them evicted, rent evicted. It doesn't have to, but if you don't, if you don't, like those things are good in and of themselves, it's, it, they're, they're objectively more pleasant neighborhoods to be in, mm -hmm. but... Uh, and, and, and they're more environmentally friendly neighborhoods mm -hmm. and it's a better way of life. High density, walkable, high, high amounts of like biking and public transit mm -hmm. is all great things for the climate, but, it's, but it, what it doesn't do is um, it doesn't address uh, housing affordability uh, and it doesn't address um, you know, transit affordability mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and the other things that affect people who aren't are benefiting from those rising, you think, rising prices. You, so let's say, would you say if we had free public transportation or like a much reduced costs, you think these St. Michelle residents would be as up in arms? I think if there were, if there was like really accessible, frequent, uh, you know, buses that weren't just packed to the gills all the time, mm -hmm. it would, I mean, I don't know if it would mean that nobody complained, mm -hmm. but it would certainly make it easier to make the case. Of course, yeah. Uh, and if there was, you know, big, uh, social housing that was, or you know, or or taxes on the, the sort of appreciation of land value um, that would um, remove speculation, real estate speculation that's that's con constantly driving up, driving down supply and driving up prices. Mm -hmm. um, then, then I think you would it would take the edge off certainly. Right, right, right. right probably right, still right. people would be unhappy. Probably there's there is a certain amount of discontent that's going to happen when you shift, but. But we should make it as as soft a landing as possible. You you think Pochimoria has offered enough? Uh, like, what are ways that Pochimoria, I guess, could like soften this kind of landing? Do you think they've done enough in that kind of way? Like, how if you were in Valerie Plant's shoes, or rather the uh, Boromere uh, Lalonde shoes, what do you think you would do in uh, response to this kind of? Uh... Well, like I said, I think you can you can tax you can you can tax the appreciation of value mm -hmm. of land. You can um, you can do you can build lots of social housing. You could take you know, some of that $700 million that you just gave to the police and put that into directly addressing the sort of um, stability of people's lives and the quality of, quality of, of the lives that they're able to have for the income that they have. Um, I think all those things would, would um, I mean, that's, that's the climate, climate measures have to be uh, in conjunction with social measures. Otherwise, mm. measures, otherwise you're going to get a backlash um, that's, that's, that's going to ultimately undermine the climate measures. Another question for you. Where's your microphone? <laughs> Sorry about that, folks. Now we're back. <laughs> Got the mic situation fixed. A little boomer moment here. Happens to the best of us. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, in tandem, Gamling Road, the road that cuts through the mountain. Indeed, they're they're closing that. Mm -hmm. What do you uh, what do you make of it? I think we've seen some. Uh, there's a piece in the uh, Gazette by Josh Free where he this the piece is titled "City Hall Snubs Montrealers Again and Again." Uh, one of my favorite quotes from this was. I supported keeping the road open as I felt it shouldn't be limited to elite cyclists, the only ones able to bike the very steep eastern half. Um, just yesterday, I think Tom Mulcair also wrote something in the Gazette where he was saying that Valerie Plant is, um, again, using, he's using this like language of like elitism where he's saying Valerie Plant is uh, supporting or giving kind of uh, credence, let's say, to her elite base in the plateau. As they are closing off the only eastern entrance to the uh, mountain, so what do you what do you make of this hubbub? And I guess how do you connect it to your points before? I mean, I mean, I think I I, I don't I don't have a strong opinion about the merits of closing Kamidiyaud. I'm generally in favor of like moving away from cars, mm -hmm. but but absolutely, as, as soon as you start getting attacked on the basis that you're an elitist because you're you're in favor of bikes. Um, that the alarm bells should be going off, right. uh, in my view. I mean, you have, um, yeah, I mean, you have Proje Mario has, has, like, I think that was one of the first things they did when they came into power, and they just spent a tremendous amount of political capital. For weeks, there was coverage of the Camellia Hood, and now it's continuing. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely, I think that, uh, that like, the, the willingness to spend your political capital on, on sort of, Fighting out things where you're the where the, you're the sort of seen as the elite, regardless of whether it's true or not, mm -hmm. like shows a lack of foresight in terms of your dedication to the actual policies um, that are nominally behind this. In terms of like reducing the amount of sort of area dedicated to cars, which is absolutely a necessary and good thing. Mm -hmm. um, to you know. But for who, <laughs> for what purpose, uh, and at what political cost, right? Um, I'd much rather see them uh, take a political hit for, uh, you know, confronting um, land developers who are, or, 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 you know, just real estate investors who are raising rents. Uh, that would that would be a much better use of their political capital. But they haven't done that. Um, they've, sort of they've tried to do these win-win sort of right. uh, housing <coughs> policies. Excuse me. Win-win <coughs> <coughs> housing policies. Would you say? Wh why do you think they're spending so much capital on this? Like, what, you think it's like a, a symbolic kind of thing for them? It's frankly baffling. I mean, I just just given that it was like the front page of like a lot of different like Montreal newspapers and like it was all negative it was all attacks like um and the fact that they just keep pushing on it um I'm sure there's some there's some like some wonk in some office somewhere has a policy case to make for it but it, to me it, it just smacks yeah, can of, we get him on the show uh yeah we should we should invite that specific wonk um <laughs> to to come on and, and and justify themselves um but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, that's that's all I have to say about it. I mean, it's just it's just uh, it's just it's just a, a dubious choice of how mm -hmm. to spend your political capital. And it seems like they've been taking. I mean, I mean, the the fact that it's been I, my own kind of take on it is like I, I feel like it's been such a huge effort of them of theirs to kind of create this kind of like 
this kind of fight between like bikers and car people and it's like you're on one side or the other and i guess like what do you what do you think that is the kind of like overarching question that like you think that's the most kind of productive way to go about these things no uh i mean there is going to be <clears throat> an either or to some extent. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, you see it in every major city that's tried to implement it. Certainly in Toronto, you have these like, you know, car people who are absolutely up in arms about the bike lanes and, mm -hmm. and the bikers and everything. And you're going people are going to complain. There's no, there's just no way around it. Um, but to what extent do you sort of heighten, heighten that? And to what extent do you sort of, uh, allow yourself to become cast as this sort of like elite, Uh, you know, plateau dwelling, uh, you know, homeowner class, mm -hmm. and to what extent do you do you ally yourself with the interests of the people? Mm -hmm. uh, and Project Montreal, time and time again, has shown its shown its willingness to go into like the win-win zone, where where like, oh, we'll have like, you know, hand over housing development to developers, and and then we'll get some affordable housing out of it, affordable in quotes, obviously. Um, you know, and, and, and with everything else, but they are not willing to actually challenge, uh, the sort of central powers that are like redistributing wealth toward a minority away from a majority. And that's, I, I think that's what people are feeling in their mm -hmm. daily lives, uh, in, in Montreal, whether it's about rent or how our food prices, um, or really frankly, transportation costs, mm -hmm. um, whether that's the price of gas or the rising Um, tarification with the STM, like you're you're getting, um, you're like getting four fifty a ticket now. Yeah, you're getting dang. Is it? Oh, for me from uh, Longay. My lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's brutal. My word. <laughs> um, they. Can you swear? Can you? <laughs> <laughs> It's a family family friendly program. Yeah, it's true. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, those are all the ways that people are like ha, ha, feel that they feel that every time mm -hmm. they have to buy a ticket they feel it every time they go to the grocery store mm -hmm. they feel it every time the they watch their account balance go down when rent comes due like um and so uh, yeah again like you're you're creating this political coalition that is uh that is reliable at the polls um i mean i think the reason they do it is because homeowners probably show up you know people who are sort of like more educated more Um, more well-to-do are going to show up to the polls mm -hmm. more often. And so you're sort of serving those coalitions to like, to, to a, like, because it doesn't like it, it that, that, that coalition serves two things for a political party. It keeps you from having to confront like the major sources of power, which is basically like capital. Uh, and it keeps you from having to, um, work too hard to get people to the polls mm, um, because mm -hmm. those people tend to vote in higher numbers. I do, th I um, do think the system was made for specifically for property owners. Usually, I think, uh, I, I think our first in the city of Montreal is uh, white men who over the age of 35 who own property, who only, who are the ones who had the, uh, the right to vote, right? So the way I think about it, it's like kind of like since then, it's definitely expanded, but that remains like the core of like what this electoral system serves. Yeah. And, and Project Montreal wasn't always that. Like it was right. that had it had some genuinely populist policies. I mean, they, they actually handed out cards at one point where it's like twenty dollars, like they like it literally said like um, abonnement de metro, like or um, STM. You know, um, your 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 monthly um, transit pass would be twenty bucks. Um, you so know, they, they handed those out a few elections ago. You know, 
in place as, as a part of their campaigning deal. But then they got in power and they start raising the rates, right? Um, so what, what has been the, uh, I guess, the trajectory of Projet Montréal since, uh, since they've been around from what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think they've gone for power. Uh, and they've taken the, the easiest road mm-hmm. to power. And that's what, you know, that's, I think that's what you can expect. The easiest pedestrian road to power. Yeah, the e- easiest uh, bike lane to power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so, I mean, I think that's, that's what they've done. Uh, those are the choices they've made, right? Like, mm-hmm. <clears throat> who's going who's to finance your campaigns? You know, it's not people who are, have no money left in the bank after they pay rent, right? Not that's me. not who it is. It's not me. Um, it's, you know, and who's going to show show up to vote for you? Um, you know, it's the the people who are more civically engaged, who mm-hmm. who feel uh, who something to gain from. Yeah, who feel who have some kind of investment in the system. Um, you know, and it takes a lot of work, like building a coalition that's that's more working class, that's less um, that's less well off is is frankly a lot more work. Uh, it takes it takes a lot of effort to get those people to the point where they say, okay, it's worth it for me not just to go to the polls, which is, can be a, you know, a couple hours of your, of your important <laughs> crucial time off, right? But it's also like, how do you get those people to knock on doors for you and do all those things? Mm-hmm. But I think that there is a difference between the people who vote for Project Montreal and the people who campaign for Project Montreal. I think that's a crucial difference. And I think, um, so, you know, the people who vote for Project Montreal that I've sort of described, they're, you know, homeowners, educated, um, have vaguely progressive values, but don't think too much or don't worry too much about the sort of powerful forces that are increasing inequality, making life really difficult for the, for the sort of majority, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people who work for Project Morale tend to be like younger, progressive values, people who are, like, are true believers mm-hmm. and who want to do some good in the world. Uh, and, and those people, I think, have to take a hard look at what the what the people that they're helping get into power every four years are up to um and and i think that's where there's that's where there you know if there's anywhere there's there's sort of short-term hope i mean the the long-term hope i think is to is to say okay what is some kind of political coalition that can that can start to organize the majority uh and and really highlight those contradictions Mm -hmm. and and speak directly to the things that are hammering people in their daily lives um, that, that, that unfortunately is not really on the municipal political horizon, mm-hmm. but, um, but certainly a short-term hope would be that people who are within Project Montreal start to, start to actualize their progressive values a little more than they already have, uh, and, and insist because the part, the party depends on them to get elected. And so if they mm-hmm. insist, they have leverage. Right. So you think from inside, it's kind of uh, the people who are, I guess, who have the most leverage, I guess, like yeah. you said, right? Yeah. Right, right. Do you see any alternatives to Project Montréal potentially coming back to life? Like, I know you had Denis Coderre who ran again last time, but he didn't do too well. Do you think someone representing, like, let's say, this a more united car front, for uh, a lack of a better term? I know Denis Coderre was uh, backed by a lot of the yeah. auto dealerships. I think we'll I think we'll see a backlash whether it's Denny Coderre writing some kind of faux populist thing. Mm-hmm. That's certainly a possibility, mm-hmm. or somebody else coming out of the depths of the West Island or something. I I don't know. Um, we'll we'll scary see, stuff. We'll see. It, it mm-hmm. came from the West. Island. Yeah, it came from below. <laughs> came, it came from Commuterville. Yeah, it came from the AMT. <laughs> <laughs> it came from. 
people sitting on the 40 yeah. swearing. <laughs> They're like, as soon as I'm there, swearing once, under once, breath, I, yeah. once I do this hour commute, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm donating. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lovely. <clears throat> um, yeah, I guess to continue talking about Prochim Royale and their, their kind of voter base, I, I personally, I find the areas where you see the kind of, uh, the, the biggest sign of like where their uh, interests lie or where they're kind of like, uh, their political lens, like how the how it's framed. I think one is obviously this thing of like this massive efforts uh, in in bike lane building, which I'm in support of. Love riding my bike. I would ride it more if my knee didn't hurt. Um, but I think on the other end, you do see stuff like the bike lane stuff. I find is like it's a bit easier to support. I think some of the ways they do it, I'm more critical of. But I think something I find is very hard to support, especially today, especially with the amount of money being put into it, is Police budget. What do you what do you think about the way Pusha Mariel approaches uh, police budgets? I mean, I think again, you're you're looking at like the shortest path to power, right? Um, mm. And I think I think it's it's not made out of malice. It's not made out of a belief in the police as an institution. Certainly, it's made out of that that decision to to massively increase the police budget uh, at a time when like over fifty percent of Montrealers were polled were were in favor of literally the language defund the police mm-hmm. even if you exclude the fact that like if you if you actually like break that down and tell people what defund the police means uh which isn't just like take money away from the thing that they think makes them, a lot of people think makes them secure mm-hmm. um but actually means r- like move that money into more effective uses for community safety and and, and security um like even without that like you had over 50 percent, right um and so it's not it's not a question of popular opinion. It's a question of uh, elite opinion, I would mm. say. Uh, and, and specifically of the power. I think it speaks to the power of the police as a political force. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have, like, the, the, I, from my perspective, as far as I can tell, um, the, the, the police in Montreal really has a kind of a, a, a core mission of suppressing the sort of more vital than usual or more vital than average sort of political movements that come out of Montreal. Right, of course. Um, so, so whether it's the student strike in 2005, when they, when they, um, when they were condemned by the UN uh, for, uh, for, for rounding up people en masse and mm-hmm. doing mass arrests, um, and, and there, was, there was never any sort of follow-up to that. They just kind of kept going. Um, all the way up to, like, you know... Um, just the last couple of years when they when the f- police were forced to pay millions of dollars in in payouts to mm-hmm. people who they illegally arrested during mm-hmm. another demonstration certainly during 2012 you had two big pieces of legislation at the provincial level uh, bill 78 and then at the at the 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 PACES, the P6 um bylaw at the municipal level both of which were designed to severely constrain um uh, the, the 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 ability to protest in the city, um, and and the reason for that, and and um, a big part of the reason those those things are able to be successful is because the police force in Montreal is already huge, mm-hmm. and even in those years, even before the recent increases, it's already a huge or highly organized political force. I mean, you're talking about thousands of people, and then you're talking about their their families, <laughs> and then you're talking about their networks and their organizations that they fund and and who act on their behalf and who act in concert, of course, with like big business um, and the sort of owner class in Quebec. Um, so add that all up and you have a, a extremely powerful political lobbying force, a voting bloc, uh, 
as well as just people who go and do do violence to poor people on a regular basis, right? Mm -hmm. um, most of which we don't hear about. But but the police in Montreal are. Did you ever have long hair? So I'm here with former long hair hippie Drew. Uh, we're here talking about the police. The defund the police festival happened this weekend. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying before, 50%, more than 50% of uh, people in Montreal polled or in support of uh, that kind of... Uh, I mean, they were at one point anyway, yeah. They were at one point, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what, do you, what do you have to say to, like, let's say, the other kind of percentage of people who think... In, uh, who think that police make them safe, or who have this idea that uh, the police is this kind of great like guardian of like criminals at the gates. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing, you, you sent me this, uh, this article, which I thought was hilarious, of like these po like community police who are like, you know, like having kids with like backpacks with like this oh. the speed like a speedom like basically a radar speed yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, indicator so on it, the back. It's a, essentially there's a borough yeah. in Montreal they're testing this out where they have kids walking around with speedometers on their back so usually it's up on like a, a street light or something yeah, but the yeah, cops yeah. are instead putting them on kids so I thought it was just a great example of like you know who 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 could disagree with that right like it's like yeah people drive too fast in school mm -hmm. zones kids get hurt um, or worse, and um, and it's an unambiguous good, right? But but do you need the the police as an institution to do that, mm -hmm. or is this a PR exercise to cover up something bigger? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I think I think community policing does seem to be quite popular um, among certainly among certain demographics, like you know the the kind of people who are doing the community outreach and like hanging out on the, you know street corners and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously that's a mi minority. Uh, of the police, um, and um, and it's not their core operation. I think their core their their core focus, uh, the reason why Montreal has such a massive police force relative to population and, and other measures, is is because this is a very politically active city and historically has been at the center of like some of the key challenges to neoliberalism. Certainly, the student strike um, at a certain point. Um, you know, certainly in 2005, when there was a student strike, there it was it was probably the biggest challenge to neoliberalism north of the Rio Grande, mm -hmm. um, and 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 directly and successfully confronting uh, austerity policies when it comes to sort of you know the slow commodification of education and so on, um, and the police were at the forefront of of making the lives of those the people who were who were accomplishing that very very difficult um and and so you have the un condemn the un um human rights commission i believe like basically insisted pretty strongly that that they should be investigated for the mass arrests that they were doing then no, they're course, making they're making Montreal a world-class city in the worst ways yeah and as i was saying before that i mean the police are are a political force they're mm -hmm. they're they're not just the individual police offices, but their their families and and it's their sort of ideology that spreads through society. Uh, and then they have organizations that act on their behalf and lobby on their behalf and lobby in conjunction with sort of big business, chamber of commerce, board of trade type organizations mm -hmm. to affect legislation. And then you see that legislation happen, where it's like Bill C seventy eight. Um, you know, during the twenty twelve student strikes, was like this draconian. Um, 
thing that severely limited the ability of people to protest legally. Mm -hmm. um, and then because every protest became illegal, the police could just go out there and uh, commit all kinds of acts of violence and be justified in doing so. Um, and then you have bills, the municipal bylaw P P6, which thankfully was reversed by the current regime. Um, but they, you know, again, targeting, directly targeting protesters. And so that, I'd say that's like the core, the core value. Um, I've also been on like an, you know, indigenous blockade, like five hours north of here. Mm -hmm. And, and guess where, guess where the like, um, squad of like heavily armored, you know, heavily armed riot cops came from to like bust that up. Yeah. Like we, we, we had to sort of sit there at the blockade for three hours while, or, uh, you know, five hours while like this bus full of cops was like mobilized and like zoomed up the 117 yeah. to get to that blockade. Um, so that's, that's their, that's one of their core roles. And I, th I don't think we should both as a political, both as a political influencer and actor, uh, but also just as their job. Mm -hmm. um, is to is to limit the effectiveness and the power of popular protest. Um, the other role that I think they have is to make people scared, basically, of falling off the, that bottom rung of society. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they've killed an average of one person per year for the last like five years, and they, I think that it was higher than that before. And there certainly have been some high profile people who have been. Uh, you know, killed by the police, mm -hmm. um, but also a lot of low pro, like lower profile ones as well. Um, but the, they're doing it all the time, and 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 that's sort of excluding all the sort of other acts of violence that don't you know result in uh, murder. Yeah, that don't result in yeah somebody literally uh, ending their time on Earth. Um, so, um, so I think I think that's another key. Like the, the the sort of core of what they do is fear, right? Like their mm -hmm. stock and trade is fear. And then, of course, that's covered up by these sort of like sprinkles and sprigs of, of uh, you know, community policing and sort of like community outreach and and all and charity work and these whatever else they're things. doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, with you know, with a, they set aside a tiny percentage of their seven hundred million dollars a year and like do that stuff. Um, but with the rest of the money, <laughs> they've got a core mission, mm -hmm. you know, and they've got they've got the, the hardware to back it up. Um, so. So, so yeah, I mean, I think Projet Montréal, by, by granting them such a huge increase, has, um, has strengthened that institution and entrenched it, um, which is a really dangerous thing to do in a moment when, we're, when inequality is increasing, when, when political you know, protest and, and mass movements are going to be one of the only ways out of the, the sort of in de deepening crises of you know, climate inequality housing, et cetera, right? Do you think, do you think they do, do you think they <clears throat> increase the budget and allow them to, to entrench themselves more in, in anticipation of further, like, like, uh, protests and pushback against it? Because I feel like for them, it's almost like the safer kind of option. Like rather, rather than putting that money into like, let's say transformative policies, like with the way things are heading, are they betting? Do you think they're betting on the, on the, I mean, no. Having so on, on having a little bit like of a sense of how Projet Montréal operates, I don't think it's. I don't think they're. I don't think they're scheming mm -hmm. to like stop the movements of the future. Mm -hmm. um, I think that they're taking an expedient political approach that will please the people that they don't want on their back. Uh, you know, the the sort of big business interests, um, the 
you know, real estate investment trusts, all, all the people that are benefiting from the system, like mm-hmm. not, not, in, not just in the thousands of dollars, but in the millions and hundreds of millions and billions of dollars mm-hmm. um, benefiting from the current system. Like those, those, that tiny minority of people uh, who are mostly hidden from view are the people that, <clears throat> that will be pleased by, you know, increasing the, the by hundred, uh, you know, whatever it was, um, some tens or hundreds of millions of dollars, the police budget, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so it's, a, it's an expedient political move for them, even if, even though you had a majority who were willing to consider alternatives to the police mm-hmm. at that very moment, they decided to, to like double down on the police. And that's, that's a signal uh, that says, that says to the elite, okay, we're serious about staying in power and we're serious about serving your interests, even though we're going to try and get some bike lanes on the well, side. What do, you, what do you think is next then for like, let's say the defund the police for like proponents? How do you think, how do you think they like get past this little impasse? Yeah. I mean, it's not, not really for me to say, um, but I, but I, I do feel like the, the, the need that's clear is, is that there's a, a, a lack of, political education. I don't think people understand the stakes of, of, of the police. I don't think they understand that they're being sort of put on, mm-hmm. taken for a ride by this sort of like tiny slice of the PR budget that is the most visible probably to the public mm-hmm. uh, until they get on the streets and protest, of course, in, in any kind of effective way. Um, so, um, yeah, in, in that sense, I think you have to... Um, I think it's about yeah, it's about educating people beyond the sort of core core of that support, and uh, and then and then of course building a movement, building a bigger big, building a a, a so solid coalition. I mean, just saying what any movement has to do to succeed, you have to build a solid coalition, mm-hmm. um, and then you have to mobilize. Break some bread. Yeah, yeah, you have to you have to mobilize that coalition and and make things happen with it. Mm-hmm. So. Thank you for that. I don't have too much to say on the Bill 31 thing. And I mean, we didn't talk about the defund fest, but I mean, I, that doesn't, I, I, I wasn't there. I, I didn't get a chance to go, but, but I think... If only someone a, in this room was at if the only, yeah. festival. Unfortunately, so, unfortunately we just that, don't have any information yeah. about... Um, Maybe next time. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you see this, uh, this is other, other little bit of news? I think this is kind of somewhat similar... In terms of like, let's say like these little PR stunts or these little stories that people try to think of it as like, oh, it's mm-hmm. this little piece of charity that kind of like ignore, let's say, the more systemic and like mm-hmm. uh, 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 just expansive kind of issues. Uh, this is a uh, was this? This was in CTV, CTV News reporting on Montreal developer repurposes staircase space to create tiny homes amid housing crisis. Um, you saw this similarly in Toronto. You had this uh, person who was, I think, going around building little tiny homes, little sheds. I mean, also in Toronto, you see like uh, Toronto is experiencing like like the bleeding edge of the housing crisis, right? And you see people who with like who had former like just ten by ten plots of land that was for like a shed or a garage, sell that, and then them building these kinds of like skinny, skinny, skinny buildings on them. I think you see that in Tokyo, right? With this kind of little uh space um curious what you think about that is uh is are we gonna be are tiny homes gonna take us out of the housing crisis yeah tiny homes are absolutely the future um (laughs) there was a really interesting uh there actually there was like a large-scale initiative to like house the homeless in tiny homes in 
Los Angeles, I believe, and there was a really interesting feature that was written. I meant to look it up, but um, but the but basically, like it just became this totally dystopian situation where there was like all this surveillance and people couldn't leave course, at certain yeah. times, and it's just like <laughs> of course just deadly. But 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 I guess the 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 appeal of tiny homes, as far as I can tell, comes from sort of two things. One is like the ability to imagine that one might be able to afford a, a home of some kind mm-hmm. at some point. And then there, I think there's also this sort of like fantasy that you can like escape from the sort of all this consumer clutter that everyone sort of has um, and like just live in a very simple sort of downsized like monk way. life, like yeah. a monk-like existence. I, I, think th- I think that there's a sort of fantastical appeal to that, which sort of combines with the like neoliberal sort of you will situation. own nothing and be happy about yeah, it. Yeah, or you will own, yeah, this is just this very little, you will, it's sort of like this diminishment, um, yeah. which I find, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's psychologically fascinating thing, but it's not, a, it's not a viable policy proposal in really any way. I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure people in like Norwegian prisons live in uh, bigger spaces than these tiny homes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, they, have, they get to cook and stuff. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, no, but I mean, it, 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 I, think, I think it's it's also just like fundamentally like a failure of imagination. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, it's, it's so far beyond our imagination. Like, <clears throat> by the way, in the richest society in human history, like literally we live in like one of the most, technolo- the most technologically advanced, one of the most wealthy, like abundant societies that has ever existed on planet Earth. And we can't give people like reasonable sized dwellings. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that re- I think that really speaks to the sort of like paucity of like imagination. I don't know. What do you think? I, I think, I, I think I agree with everything you're saying. For me, it's like this kind of like, it's like even people who do live in kind of like decent houses, right? See these kind of tiny homes and think of it, it's like, oh, that's cute. You know, it's like, oh, like maybe like, like you're saying, right? I could be away from like all these kinds of like distractions, you know, live this kind of simple life. But like ultimately it is kind of like a thing of like, no, I just, it's okay to want like a nice house, you know. It's okay to want like decent like accommodations, you know. It's like it's like uh, to me to me it's it's like in tandem. It's, it's this thing of like of uh, of what do you call it? Like these moving uh, goalposts or this kind of like was it was it like making our own kind of desires, making our own dreams like just smaller and smaller and more attainable because mm-hmm. home ownership seems so out of reach. So you kind of like okay, I don't want a home. I don't want a yard. I don't want like that's obviously like not yeah, attainable. and affordable apartments are yeah, yeah, off yeah. the table as yeah. well. Do, so. I, do I want li- maybe I could live with like eight other people in like a factory and we have like curtains separating us, or <laughs> or like let's say if I want my own like you private a, a tiny house, all of your own. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's like or like oh man, like what's the most I could ask for? Just like a little tiny house. Just like this, just give me. Give me a staircase, you know, give me a little Harry Potter house, you know, under the stairs. I just, I'm, I'm going to keep my head down. I'm not going to own too much. I'll be happy about it. And to, to me, there's also this kind of thing about, like, this, the, the, the whole way that minimalism is such, such kind of, like, this trend, uh, this aesthetic trend that is, like, you know, at some point, some people think it's, like, oh, it's anti-consumerist. But it's, it's almost, like, it might be anti-consumerist, but it's, like, it's such a different kind of flex, Right to be like, yeah, look at how much like I don't have. But like, meanwhile, like the people who live in these minimal houses, like I'm, I'm thinking of this, like, a, like Jay Balvin, this DJ from like Colombia, right? Be- honestly, his house, beautiful, incredibly, like everything's kind of like Japanese aesthetic. Like, mm-hmm. Everything's like low to the ground. It's all wood, but it's like 
he's got a lot of money, right? It's like it's like for, for me, it's like people don't want to don't want to show that kind of wealth anymore. So some that you even have like some rich people kind of like are attracted to this kind of like lifestyle, this attracted to this kind of like uh, posturing rather, this kind of aesthetic where it's like, no, look at me, like. I'm like one of the rich people who like doesn't have much, and at the same time, it's also this thing that's like someone who doesn't have anything is like, oh, I wish I had, I wish I had that yeah, little. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, I have to say, as like somebody who has a kid at you know a three year old at home, it's like, you know, it's a lot of work to like mm-hmm. constantly put stuff away and make sure that course, everything's in its right place. And like, I don't know, like you know, kids are gonna have a certain amount of toys and they're gonna bring stuff out and make a mess and stuff. <laughs> and so it is sort of interesting that like the people who can maintain that level of like, you know. Uh, Mary Kondo, you know, peak peak Mary Kondo sort of aesthetic. You yeah, are yeah, able yeah. to um, do, you know, do it because <clears throat> either because they have somebody else do it for them, or because they have extra time on their hands to do it, um, or because they have a lot of storage space and are like are able to hide the things that they yeah. need for their daily existence away. Um, you know, I think, I, I, you know, I don't think. I don't think it's a bad thing inherently to uh, aspire to simplicity, of course, or, or, or to or, or or to sort of like down, downsize your life. But I think we have to understand the social forces that are that are making us sort of f- fit our expectations into smaller and smaller spaces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's the real key to understanding I'm, this. Thinking about like uh, I think Althusser has that stuff about like uh, like interpolation and like the way that like society and these social forces, which are underneath those, are like. Uh, forces of like capital kind of form our dreams right it's like mm-hmm. if your dream is to own a tiny home it's like of course of course that's like a nice little goal of like simplicity but then like what are the kind of greater kind of currents that might be making that your dream right? yeah. like like if my dream was like oh i wish i like i wish i just lived in a van you know it's like what what is causing that right yeah. it's like it's, it's these things that we talked about before about like not being able to like access like a proper home you know it's like, it kind of reminds you of like in like san francisco it's like we think of like San Francisco and like the that kind of like whole like um like Silicon Valley is like another kind of like I mean like in North America like this other this other like bleeding edge of like, yeah. like rapid gentrification, crazy high property prices, people being kicked out, and you have people who like work for these companies like Google and Uber, and they're just living in their like vans. I, there's this one uh, story of this guy who just decided not to rent, and he just bought like a cube truck to kind of like repurpose and make that his base, and he just he's in that cube truck. And it's like mostly like it's like they're bare essentials. He doesn't even have a shower and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I find that's he doesn't have a shower because like these cool offices, these cool hip trendy offices, you can shower there. You know, you have so many of the they got a kitchen there. So it's like it's almost like you have so many of these things that used to be in your home in the, in your private dwelling that are now being moved into the office. Yeah. They're now being kind of like these spaces that used to be yours private. Now it's like part of work. It's like, oh, you want to go home and clean? No, you don't got to go home. You can just stay here and like you can keep working. Just clean yourself. Take a little shower. Stay here. No, no, no. For sure. And I think I think it kind of creates this aesthetic spectrum from like minimalism to like gaudy McMansion filled yes. with like yes. toys. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I think we have to like look outside of that sort of binary spectrum and like look at what what that's sort of excluding completely, which mm-hmm. is. You know, you know, a lot of other people have 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 sort of talked about this, but like the idea of. Okay, so we are rolling. We're live, live in Metropolis. It's Wednesday afternoon. We're talking about (laughs) tiny homes, staircases, yeah, uh, McMansions, as it were. Yeah. So I mean, I I I feel like there's a 
there's a you know a spectrum from um, I, I guess I guess this sort of like aesthetic you know dis movement or like uh, appeal of of tiny houses you know is on the one hand sort of constrained by neoliberalism or is sort of like an aestheticization of the constraints that neoliberalism yeah. places on us to diminish ourselves and to diminish our the space that we take up while like maximizing productivity and so on. Um, but but I feel like that exists. There's a, there's sort of a implicit spectrum of like okay, there's the tiny home on the one hand, and there's like the gaudy McMansion filled with like consumer toys on the other. Mm -hmm. And I think what that what that sort of binary sort of excludes, or what that what that makes invisible is the is the sort of a third option um at least there's at least one other option which is what 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 i think some people have called communal luxury so the idea that uh, you know people um you know instead of having each one ha everyone having their individual residence based mm. on the idea of private property you have communal you have some some private living spaces but then you also have communal spaces you have community kitchens where you can go and get food that's not not just based on profit, but it's actually cooked by different people who are a mm -hmm. combination of volunteering or mm -hmm. being paid or pooling the resources to, to have good food and then eat it together, for example. That would be like one example. Or like, I think a lot of the things that we enjoy, like, you know, parks and, and different kind of public spaces are another sort of form of communal luxury, which mm -hmm. I think of, of in a very limited form, Project Montreal has been very successful at sort of you know, pushing and implementing and expanding these kinds of yeah. spaces of communal luxury, and, and it's very popular. People love it. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, going to Toronto is kind of brutal yeah. just for the lack of parks. I remember during COVID, yeah. it's like <laughs> Trinity Bellwoods was just like every inch was packed with people. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, I don't know. Whenever I have friends from Toronto come here, they're like, "Well, there's so many parks here." Yeah. You know? but even guess, in Toronto, they, of... they put a lot of money into their parks. I mean, they, they're, really they're very there's a lot of money. Yeah, they got, they got the yeah. they got the cherry blossoms in the Hyde Park. People love those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting what you're saying about yeah. this kind of how, how that spectrum of um, uh, tiny home to McMansion exists on the spectrum of like let's say like like property owning kind of like dreams right it's like this mm -hmm. is these are this is your spectrum if you want like your own kind of individual property just for yourself it's either a tiny home where you have not much but just for yourself or where you have a McMansion where you have like a lot of like ugliness and like space but that's again that's you you know and you mm -hmm. talk about this kind of like other completely whole other axis that's just blowing yeah neoliberalism we have a we have a, a personal aesthetic for every income bra income yeah, bracket yeah, right yeah, like, yeah, yeah 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 exactly i do i do think there's something i appreciate when certain kind of wealthy people live in that kind of mcmansion gaudiness mm -hmm. do you remember i was that uh, i think the, I, it, I, no, I don't want to say something that's wrong but it was it was that couple during the protests that had their guns out on their lawn Mm -hmm. Do you remember the, those two people? Yeah, yeah. I remember. Did you ever see what the inside of their place looked like? That's like the the the, the logical conclusion yes. of of the uh, of this of this like neoliberalism yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. identity they, options. They they exist at this the far end yeah, of like this exactly. gaudiness yeah. McMansion, and I think it's like yeah, I remember seeing those photos of they because they had like a, some some like photographer came and did like yeah. a housing house it's house like tour like a few the months most before or something. Yeah. Ornate kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's like I love things that are ornate. You know, it's nice to have that kind yeah. of de decoration and character, but they have the to like such a such a maximum kind of yeah, level, yeah, like yeah. These chandeliers and I remember there's something about it where I was like oh this is kind of like I think this represents something sort of like reprehensible mm -hmm. but there's 
<laughs> I appreciate the honesty. You know, it's like, yeah, you guys aren't trying to like. Yeah. You guys are like just no, no just showing up. Yeah, it's like Donald Trump coming yeah, down yeah. his gold escalator. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. It, there's, it, it, not, compare not that to hiding like, his aesthetic. Yeah. Compare that to like let's see Bill Gates in like a little like 2010 Prius. You know, where it's like it's that's not hey. That's not that's not accurate, you know. That doesn't that doesn't give us the whole yeah, picture. Yeah, the, the puffy billionaire vest. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 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 the hair plugs, you know. Yeah. Obviously, Drew and I we're, we're not there yet. <laughs> that's that's how you'll know we're uh, we've gone to yeah, the other side. We, we just show up with like a head full of hair. <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll know I sold out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, anything else you wanted to add on uh, this this thing of like tiny homes and uh, actually a few of how they're gonna solve the housing crisis. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's. I think just to bring it back down to Montreal, I think the fact that we're seeing this story, I think we're seeing like people covering the idea of a tiny house or like or or trying it out in these like awkward, unused, tiny spaces, you know, is an indication of where we're at. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you you hear stories. The, it used to be in Montreal, you had a reasonably high vacancy rate. Mm -hmm. You had rent control. Crazy low rent. It, it, was, it was an incredible place to live and an incredible place to be, so, you know, just, I, I think when I first moved here and in like the early 2000s, it was like people would talk about, oh, I'm, I'm sort of uh, a web designer. I'm sort of an artist. Yeah, yeah. I'm sort of in a band. I'm kind of figuring things out. Yeah, I'm kind of just there's doing that, my thing. There's, there's that Beaverton headline that's like, Montreal's the capital of, I'm just trying to figure my things out. Exactly. And, 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 and that's the thing. It's like when you can, like I was literally paying $250 a month in rent uh, when I first when I first moved here, I mean, oh I had roommates and everything, but but still, I mean, you that's, live in the that's unheard of. Now. Nine There's roommates no in a in a loft with like curtains, or no, no, it was just three people in like a basement apartment uh, with like reasonably largish windows. Um, you know, it wasn't it was not the luxury by any stand yeah, yeah. standard, but like for somebody in their early twenties, uh, you know, living Adequate. in a city, yeah, it's 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 fine, you know, and and you could get you know. You could live. You could live on five hundred bucks a month mm -hmm. uh, if you wanted to, mm -hmm. um, and and I think that affords all kinds of. I mean, I think we don't know that we miss it till it's gone. In the sense that now it is gone. Now, yeah. like the average rent is like two thousand dollars or something, um, and no nobody's gonna like nobody has time when they have to pay a two thousand dollar a month rent mm -hmm. to like start a band or like do yeah, anything gonna, other than work. Yeah. You're just working. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, and, and I think that that really changes the character of a city in addition to like the actual human misery it creates and the like sort of people who have, who have mental illness uh, falling off the bottom rung mm -hmm. and then being in danger of being hurt or, or worse by police mm -hmm. or, or whatever it is, you know, and, and, or like literally living on the streets in the, in the, in a city where it's not advisable, you know, uh, given our, our weather conditions. Um, so I think the tiny, the tiny houses, like it, it's only along the, on that backdrop that the tiny homes become this sort of fascination or obsession, mm -hmm. um, you know, of an actual solution to anything. Uh, I mean, they're 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 kind of a fun aesthetic. It's like fun. it might be fun to like yeah. you know rent right. one for like a week and like do some writing or something. Right. Um, it's and, like the capsule hotels in like Japan. So yeah, it's exactly. Kind of a novelty. But yeah, like, yeah. I don't want to live here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but w the thing that makes it jump from a novelty, from this sort of like recreational activity to like an actual uh, proposed housing solution, I think is that context and is and and, and we're living it right now. Um, and and it, I think that's. You know, it's it's probably good to end on <laughs> like slightly more humorous uh, 
instance of that rather than just the abject human misery that it also creates. Did you see the rent for this tiny house? I, I can't. I confess that I, I missed that. It's 1995 <laughs> God damn. All right. Well, uh, so much for saving any money by living in a tiny house. My goodness. Who has that kind of money? If you do, please support our show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, become a sustainer today. Please put me in a tiny house. <laughs> Move into an yeah. even tinier house. I would love to live in the dog shed. <laughs> we challenge you to move into an even tinier house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The micro house. Sometimes you see that, right? Like places like, it's like, it's funny when you come across apartments without like, so sometimes you see apartments without like bathrooms or like, they're essentially just like dorms, right? Mm -hmm. but, like they're still marketed as like apartments. I don't know. Ask for more. That's not, a, that's not an okay way to live. All right. Thank you, Drew. Thanks, Colin. It's and, been uh, a pleasure. Absolutely. It's always nice talking to you, uh, my best to you and yours. You got the you, uh, you. So you're going back up, right? Back up north, back to your home. Yeah, back to my home. And are you going to be biking? Curious. <laughs> Curious. <laughs> I confess that I will not. I'm I'm struggling to get into a rhythm where I take actual public transit. But yeah, I'll I, get there. I that's that's. I'm just. I'm. It's all. It's all in jest. All in jest. Thank you very much, everyone, for tuning into the uh, test episode of Metropolis with Colin Datsipa. Um. Uh, Apologies for all the technical difficulties. None of them were my fault. Have a good night, folks. <laughs> <laughs>